You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixon. Well, welcome back, listener. I am glad that you are still hanging there with me, Kumar Dixit, your concierge minister. You know, in about a week or so, there's going to be millions and millions of people around the world wearing this gray ash on their forehead. And I'm sure you've you've seen it, and I'm sure you've never said anything to anyone because you're like, I know that's probably religious, but I don't want to like get in trouble or get started with the conversation with a coworker. But I thought I would introduce you to Ash Wednesday. It's something that um, people around the world um, participate in. It's something I never grew up with and always thought was very weird and foreign until I started actually participating in it myself um, years later. So who to better help me understand but the Reverend Bryant Osvig. Welcome, Reverend. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Reverend Osvig is the university chaplain at American University, as well as the scholar in residence in the Department of Philosophy and Religion. Man, that's a mouth. Do you get, does that all go on your business card? <laughs> it, you know, I am generally um, not title obsessed. So in general, when I meet people, I'm like, just call me Revo. I just, you know, the rest of it is immaterial. Um, and, and I will admit that, you know, for me, the high peak of my career was recently when I walked into the on-campus cafe and the students like cheered out as I came in like, bravo, and then like had my coffee ready for me without me ever having ordered. And so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that, you know, that that's all the title I need is the guy yeah, who drinks coffee. That, that's the pinnacle. That's, that's, that's amazing. I made it. I, you know, I considered retiring immediately after that. Yeah, I, I bet. Well, I will, I will tell my listener that whenever I have some kind of like serious theological question or trying to figure out kind of his, the history and tradition of Christianity, you're tend to be the first person I call to ask questions about. So thanks for being like available to answer some of our questions. Well, I'm flattered that, uh, that uh, I, I give the appearance of knowing enough to be able to ask. <laughs> so let's dive into it. Uh, Ash Wednesday is, is coming up and obviously it's, you know, it, it has to do with the Easter tra- tradition. Tell us just kind of a, a, an overview of what we need to know about Ash Wednesday. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, you know, and, um, and and there there is a long and sort of interesting history that goes with where we end up with Ash Wednesday. Sort of one of the interesting aspects of Ash Wednesday, I think, actually is the fact that on Ash Wednesday, the reading for the day um, in liturgical circles is um, when you fast, don't disfigure yourself. Don't tear up your clothes and throw ash on your head. But do so in a way, you know, so that it's secret, so that, you know, what God sees in secret is rewarded and not the public <laughs> adulation for doing it. You know, and this is the reading we do. And right after we do that reading, I'm like, all right, now come forward and get some of those ashes on your head, right? Right. For um, the whole world to see. For the whole world to see that, you know, uh, you're going to be doing something for the next 40 days. And, you know, and the first question everyone asks after they see someone with ashes is, oh, what are you giving up for Lent? You know, sort of that Lenten discipline question. Um, so, you know, the Ash Wednesday becomes related to an understanding of Lent in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the penitential act of putting ashes on oneself um, is really, you know, sort of a longstanding tradition in the Jewish community, which very quickly became a part of the Christian community in the first century. Right? You know, this was an 
This was a penitential act. It was an act that you generally, you know, you would frequently see, or not frequently, but you'd see in the Jewish communities for someone who committed a, an egregious act against the community or someone who was in deep mourning for something that happened to them. So there's always been sort of an aspect of this, this ash um, sort of uh, uh, act of piety um, mm -hmm. that's been included in the Christian tradition from early on. Uh, and in that early first century, you know, the majority of the uh, individuals getting baptized were Christian converts. Yeah. And so one of the penitential acts that got associated with the converts was this sort of confessional penitential act of ashes and confession, um, you know, and, and sort of a rejection of the of the life that they had before. And because the Christian community was this odd community coming out of the Jewish community and embracing the Gentiles around it, you had the Gentile community coming to make confession that they had worshipped idols and sacrificed to idols. And so would wear, for, wear, would place ash on themselves um, as a part of this. And the, 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 the day for believers to be baptized, um, it seemed most appropriate for believers to be baptized. Well, the days, there was an early sort of Christian conversation of, is the better day to baptize new Christians um, on Epiphany Sunday, so the day that Jesus was baptized, which is probably one of the earlier holidays celebrated in the Christian community that wasn't Easter, was actually the Epiphany. Um, the baptism of our Lord, um, or should you do it on Easter when Christ is resurrected and you're being baptized into the promise of the resurrection? Uh, and so there was, you know, some early first few centuries back and forth about which of these holidays is when new converts should, you know, come into the come into the community, and um, and associated with, with that would be, you know, these acts of contrition, this education in the faith. Um, and, and, you know, and, and then eventual a full confession of who Christ was um, for, the, for the community members. And around this springs up, you know, sort of these traditions of fasting. And at first it was, you know, in the week leading up to Easter, as, uh, you know, as these penitentials are preparing themselves to be baptized, the week leading up to Easter, they would, they would take on a fast. And, and you see this developing in one part of Christendom. At yeah, the but same time, is the, is the fasting, um, the, the, the ash and kind of the, the mourning and kind of like looking within, you know, can be, you know, you, you can kind of see the line where it goes into Judaism, but is the fasting portion of that also um, representative of Judaism, or is this kind of a new tradition that's taking on within the early Christians? Uh, there, it's, it, there are strains of it in Judaism, but the asceticism that comes in early Christianity and sort of the denial of self for the, um, the benefit of aligning oneself with God, right? And, and let's be really clear, early on in Christianity, there was this conversation about whether or not one could do stuff to earn God favor or not, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the Aryan uh, uh, Athanasius debate. Um, you know, really there's like an early sort of sense of like, you know, asceticism, is about aligning oneself with God and not necessarily turning God towards you. Okay. Um, or like, or, you know, there's some of that that plays into it as well. Um, and certainly the Protestant traditions pick up that even more so um, later on. But yeah, there's strains of it in Judaism that gets associated really quickly with the asceticism of the early Christians. Um, you know, and some of that asceticism uh, is there already culturally in the Greek communities around uh, what we have with... Um, uh, you know, this denial of, uh, of physical self as being the problem and sort of, you know, moving yeah. into more heady self. Um, 
uh, aesthetic qualities of philosophies of the Greek culture. So you have this growing up in the community. Um, at the same time, you have this like, okay, we need to prepare ourselves. We've got this week fast going on leading up to Easter. And it starts like uh, Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday. Um, so the Sunday before Easter was considered a feast day. So what would happen is you have a big feast that day and then you fast all the way to Easter. Um, on the Saturday before Easter, Holy Saturday, you'd be baptized on Sunday morning, you know, you'd celebrate with the community at the sunrise and then, you know, go. And, and is that why, like, especially, I know a lot of Catholics who have a huge, like, Easter Sunday meal. It's because they've been fasting for the last day. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know that anyone's doing the full fast anymore. I mean, like, <laughs> technically, like, yeah, I, I've had this conversation with our interfaith communities about the way, you know, Christians don't fast as significantly as other communities. And I said, well, you know, in real tradition, Christian thought, like, actually, you have uh, the true one, which is the, the three holy days. So it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, you have a simple meal on Thursday, you fast all day on Friday, and then, you know, simple meal or just water on Saturday, so you can, you know, do this big feast on, on Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Um, in Orthodox, in Christian Orthodox communities, they have some significant fasting periods as well um, that include, you know, non-consumption of food. Um, and part of the non-consumption of food uh, also was related to the first time you received the Eucharist. Like you should fast and you should be like, your stomach should be empty before mm. you, receive, you know, this experience yeah. of grace. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, you know, for the first time or, you know, and in general, like there's an expectation that people would fast before the Eucharist, um, mm. but for the new convert, it would be like, you know, the fast would be much more significant. Yeah. At the same time, this is growing up. There's another Christian tradition happening in the Eastern part of the empire, which is in following in the footsteps of Jesus, like Jesus who got baptized on Epiphany, then went into a 40 day fast. A 40 day mm. fast period begin to, begins to develop around Epiphany Sunday. So that's January and in through February. So mm. we have these two different traditions happening simultaneous and over time you know these 40-day periods become intermixed and and the 40-day you know there's so many biblical references to 40 days so yeah. many um other like early christian uh, uh like mythologies and, and sort of stories that rise, rise up around the 40 days i mean including you know let's like turn biblically jesus baptized 40 days of fasting, temptation starts ministry. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, the sort of the, in the Christian um, liturgical tradition, you know, Jesus is resurrected on Easter is around for 40 days. And then on the 50th day, we get the spirit. Right. And so yeah. like this sense yeah, have, of yeah, Pentecost um, coming up. Yeah. So we got these, these 40 day cycles. Um, and so really you know, the importance of this 40 day cycle. So let and, and as like, and this sort of ties it all together. So as we have fewer and fewer Christian adult converts, right? Um, and we have more and more babies who are being baptized. And so this is in relationship to original sin. So once we have the concept of original sin, therefore the baby has to be baptized if it's going to heaven too. So we baptize babies. What we see is the Christian community begin to transition from this is an act in which the penitential who are coming into the community and those who've been removed from the community come back in to this is an act of the whole community to mm. prepare ourselves for this feast. And with that, we see the merger of this 40-day epiphany period begin to shift over into around Easter, if that makes sense. It, it, it does. That's great. That, that, that said, it's 40 days, not counting Sundays in some Christian uh, Protestant communities or 40 days 
not counting Holy Week, which is a whole nother sort of period of time. So, so, so 46, 47. Let, let, me, let me be Oprah and ask some of the questions everybody wants to know. Okay? Yeah. Because I, I know like, you You're know. Like, okay, I'm talking about this history stuff. That's all fine and good, but. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's move forward to, to, you know, 2000 years ahead now. Why is it that like every Sunday, I think it's every Sunday that you can eat meat, but you know, the other days you cannot eat meat. Because no one can handle it. No, I, <laughs> I, the idea is every Sunday is a celebration of Easter. Um, so, you know, the sense of every Sunday, every Sunday is supposed to be a feast day. Every day, every Sunday is a celebration of okay. Christ's resurrection. Um, and even in the liturgical circles, like the readings of those Sundays of Lent mm-hmm. are about baptism, ministry, and 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 and, uh, and the hope of Christ. Right. So every Sunday becomes a celebration of Easter, and it's tied up also with the sense of um, this question of you know what is Sunday? Is it you know is it a Sabbath? No, it's the eighth day. It's the first day of the new creation. So therefore, like we as the people of God are called together. Um, to live in that sort of that joy of, you know, we are part of the new creation on that day. So, um, so yeah, every Sunday is, is a feast day. And therefore the, the fasting expectations um, are, are somewhat exempt. Okay. <laughs> or okay. Theoretic, theoretically exempt. There's always, you know, some individuals like, what do you mean you can't make it through Sundays? <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I get it. Good. I get it. I mean, if it's a, if it's supposed to be a feast day, then it's, it's the day of celebration that you get to kind of absolutely remember. Now on, on a pragmatic, practical basis in the middle ages, if no one's eating meat for 40 days, you're destroying the farmers. And so like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's always a conversation about economic sort of decision-making that plays into this. Um, I've never been able to find very, uh, validated research that says how much of that drove some of these decisions and how mm-hmm. much didn't. But you know, I that may be true. But in in a theological basis, which is where we're grounded, right? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we give theological, spiritual, pietistic explanation for this? Mm-hmm. And it really is like when we gather on Sunday, this is a celebration of the community gathered, and it should be a day of joy and celebration, and therefore our fasting in some ways is set aside uh, once we've gathered at the table together. So let me ask you some questions, you know, just pragmatic questions and then questions out of curiosity. Um, I'm I'm dying to ask you about, you know, Fat Tuesday because I, I, I I don't know why, but Reverend, every time I see the the pictures and videos of like people out in, you know, uh, parting it up on Fat Fat Tuesday, I I am like offended. I, I, I am. I'm just like, do people not know like what they're doing? Like, this is so like sacrilegious, but is, is there a tradition behind that? Or is, yeah, you know, how did well, that come about? A, there is a tradition behind it, but you know, it's like so many other traditions. It's um, uh, I'm going to borrow, like, I agree with you sort of the, um, the, uh, the decadence, that's not even the right word, sort of. Um, I, I, I call it carnal. The, yeah, the carnal attitudes towards Fat Tuesday are sort of problematic. The original Fat Tuesday um, purpose was, you know, before the fast begins on Wednesday to get all of the sugar and fat and, you know, all of those sort of good things out of the house. And okay. the way to do this is to have a massive party. And so, you know, okay. uh, many, many, many communities will have like a pancake supper, like mm-hmm. on Fat Tuesday. And the sense of this is, 
in like the old, like in, you know, in the middle ages, like, yeah, you eat a lot of pancakes because pancakes are made with, you know, sugar, they're made with lard, they're made with, you know, yeah. fat. Um, and so, you know, not pancakes in the traditional sense that we think of them, but pancakes in the sense of, you know, this is a, you know, a quick cake in which I've taken all of the, the fats, oils, and sugars of the house and mixed them together to create this cake that we can now eat to celebrate. So that, um, is that really the tradition? Why I see all of these churches having pa- pancake yeah. festivals? Yeah, the pancake festival is totally related with getting the fat out of the house. That is um, so interesting. But, you know, like, like so many other traditions in, in holidays, like the purpose of it has lost its link over yeah. time. Um, and the Reformation or like uh, not just the Reformation, but sort of Protestantism as it became sort of more and more splintered away from liturgical movements like this lost that link of like, why do we do this? Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we don't have that relationship. As an interesting aside, in Eastern Orthodox churches, they still have a cheese Sunday, which is before Lent, in which they're supposed to eat all the cheese because they're not supposed to eat cheese during Lent. And, you know, right. I'm like, uh, as someone who likes cheese, I'm just like, I think we should bring cheese Sunday back. I'm just yeah. thinking this is brilliant. <laughs> I, would, I would probably bring back pepper jack cheese Sunday. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, so, so next week there's going to be, you know, a, a line of students that are wanting you to put the ash on their forehead. Um, where, where do you get the ash from? Like where, where do, <laughs> you know, like, where does that come from? Is there like a, is there like a, a secret amazon.com, you know, ash bucket that you buy or, or what do you guys do? Is there any oh, kind of like, I like this pragmatic question. Steve, that was one of those things that no one taught you in seminary and you had to go ask some other pastor, like, yeah. oh, wait, how does this happen? Yeah. So um, there are, there are uh, two functional ways to get it. And I will, I will give you the, uh, the traditional one and then the way everyone handles it. The traditional one goes like this. Um, you, you have kept the palms from Palm Sunday. You have kept the palms from Palm Sunday and they are burned. Um, and that is more of a process than you might imagine, um, mm-hmm. because palms have like a lot of fibers in them. So being able to actually get them well burned is a process. Um, it is not as easy as it might sound. Um, it, you know, I it took me a few years of ministry to figure out how to do it well. Mm. Um, and so then they're burned. And the idea of this is the palms that we use to celebrate Jesus' entry um, on Palm Sunday, which was you know. You know, you're the you know Emmanuel with us. You know, we're gonna follow you, yay Jesus. Um, end up becoming you know on this day, on Ash Wednesday, a remembrance of how many times over the last year we have not actually made Jesus the King of our life, where we haven't actually been a follower of Jesus, where we've turned away and denied Jesus ourselves. And you know that sense of the the this this celebratory thing has become actually a mark of our shame now. Wow. Um, and so they're burned, um, you know, pulverized. And then uh, you actually um, add some prism or oil to them. If you add water, they actually become more like lye and can actually burn. Okay. That's an early lesson you learn in ministry. Um, <laughs> First degree burn. <laughs> yeah, so in general, like that's what you do. You add a little oil because it, it allows the palm to uh, the palm ash mm-hmm. to have a little bit of um, substance to it. Um, it, it's very, it's very sticky. You end up, I have books that have like palm ash thumbprints on them because you know, they're, they're the <laughs> right. books I use for Palm Sunday. I have some vestments with palm, palm prints on them. Now that's the traditional way. 
Um, the way that most people do it is like you can order it from a church supply company. <laughs> get a nice, get a little, yeah. And you can always tell first timers because like it doesn't take much to like get a lot of people, but people get like a little self-conscious. So it's like one little tube and I don't even have a good, you know, not like not even like a small medicine. Yeah. Like, yeah, that will probably you could probably go years with like a small medicine <laughs> capsule, um, you know, and yet you'll have clergy like I was freaked out. And so I bought 10 and you walk into churches with like all these vials and yeah. ash you know, left over from decades of ash Wednesday services. So, that, so that's the it's supposed to be done and the yeah. way that everyone does it. You know, So, yeah, you can go to Amazon and go, I need some palm ash. For <laughs> that's awesome. Jeff Bezos will hook you up. Uh, Jeff Bezos would be happy to take your liturgical money. So Ash Wednesday comes, the pilgrims show up, and it's a very solemn occasion. What is the participant doing in their heart and, and preparing as they come in for, for, for that service? Well, I don't know what they may be doing, but you know, the sense of the moment uh, really is, um, is, is really that question of um, you, how do you understand your Christian living to be reflected in your life? And how have you not um, how have you not been able to reflect that as truly as you might want to, hmm. you know, where have you, where have the missteps been along the way? Like, what is the, what are the things that are, are holding you back or what are the things that um, constrain you from living holy as uh, holy living into the love of God that surrounds you every day? So, you know, for the, the individual who's coming into that moment, it really is that question of like, what is it? that pulls me away from fully embracing the love of God um, that is available for me, you know, how, and how have I failed in reflecting that back out into the world? Right. Yeah. Cause it's a both and how have I embraced it and embracing it? How am I reflecting it back out? So the penitent is coming into that season of, you know, really what is it? Um, what is it that I need to do to be, be able to claim this, this name of Jesus that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of making a statement about in some way, um, as I gather in this space. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Is it is it true that they're not supposed to wipe off or wash the ash from their forehead? <laughs> I, there's no liturgical instruction on that one, actually. Okay. Um, you know, that's for the penitent to figure out what they want to do with the ash on their forehead. Hmm. Um, yeah, I always find it funny because uh, on that day, you know, like there's ash on my forehead, depending on what time the service is. And just inadvertently, you'll feel something drip on your forehead. So you're like, oh man, you know, it's like the way, but there, there's no, you don't have to leave it on your forehead mm-hmm. that you choose to is one thing. It's funny. Uh, what I find funny about Ash Wednesday is frequently uh, a portion of the people who show up for services are those who saw someone else with ashes on their forehead <laughs> and all of a sudden realize it's Ash Wednesday and they probably should do something. Right, like you know, this right. like overwhelming sense of guilt, like right. hits them. Like, oh, you know, I need to do this. Uh, let Let's talk briefly about Lent because you know it's 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 forty days of of what? I mean, we we tend to, uh, yeah. especially we've kind of modernized it as it's forty <laughs> days of giving up something, and it's it's not even the idea of the act of sacrifice. It's really the act of like giving up Facebook for forty days. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, so it's it's supposed to be 40 days of fasting, right? And one of the first things I tell people is a fast is not a diet. This is not a thing where I'm giving up something that needs to be given up. Uh, if Facebook is causing you problems, you should give up Facebook before you get to Lent. 
Um, mm. Lent isn't your opportunity to do it. Lent is supposed to be uh, about something different. And fasting is supposed to be about something different. And, and, and that's often the confusion, right? Yeah. So um, because of concerns about the way that fasting and uh, ha- have come into our common community and concerns about body imaging and stuff like that, we don't, um, you know, we talk about spiritual disciplines. What are you taking on? What are you doing additional? Um, which in some ways is a fast of time. It's just, you don't use that same language, mm-hmm. but you know, it's still a misunderstanding of a fasting. Um, a fasting is supposed to be about coming to understand, know, and love God more. And, and this is done in three ways. First of all, when you give up something that you like, um, I'm going to pick on ice cream because I love ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it's proof of the existence of God. Um, so when you give up ice cream, um, the first thing to, to know in giving it up is it was something that I enjoyed and enjoying it. I realized that, you know, God is a God of creation who gave, gave joy and pleasure and, and wonderfulness around me. And I, and I come to know God as a God of giving, right? Um, the, the second element of it is um, I, you know, in giving something up that gives me joy, I come to recognize in Christ what God gave up to communicate divine grace to me, right? Mm-hmm. So if I give up ice cream, like, okay, you know, that's significant to me, but how much more for God to give up divine self in Christ? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the final thing is um, we know that uh, what we read consistently in the story of Jesus and in the, um, and in the communications of God throughout scripture um, in the Hebrew canon and otherwise is that there's this sort of divine inclination towards those without. Um, and so in giving up, something that I love. Um, I also come to uh, move myself into solidarity with those who do not have. Mm. And in moving in solidarity with them, I discover compassion and empathy. Um, I have the choice of not eating ice cream. They do not. So what does it mean for the people who, who do not have that choice, who do not get to eat it because they don't have the capacity or financial resources to do it. Mm-hmm. And in so doing in moving to solidarity, what is my responsibility for someone who is now recognizing that God loves me and gave me something wonderful, recognizing how much God gave up to talk to me. What is my, in coming to know God more responsibility and reaching out and sort of meeting those needs and those responsibilities of others, my neighbors who surround me every day. So, I mean, the spiritual discipline of fasting is, is supposed to be about coming to love God more, not trying to make God love you more. Um, And that's, Mm. that's, I think that's one of the confusions about spiritual disciplines in general. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, there's an assumption about overt or non-overt um, that, you know, there's something that we can do to bend the will of God mm-hmm. rather than recognizing that God already loves us perfectly as we are. The question is always, how can we love God? more? Yeah, I love that. That's, that's beautiful, quotable, and I'm going to take it as my own quote. Oh, all right. Well, you do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're gonna although this is recorded, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'm gonna take credit for it. It's, it's uh, you, you go for it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And so did, does that lead into kind of the, the alms giving then? Um, yeah, I mean that's the intention of it. Uh, you know, so then individuals like in giving it up and not not spending money on it, I should have additional resources that I can then put into reaching out to someone else's need. This becomes moving into the solidarity aspect of it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I know some people who say every time I think about the thing I give up, it gives me an opportunity to pray, which I also reflect. You know, I tell people, yeah, absolutely. But that's reflected in the thanking God for the wonder and beauty and, you know, joyful things that God has surrounded you with. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it you know, that's in the gratitude side. 
know, so gratitude, recognition, um, you know, and solidarity become sort of that spot for all of this. But yeah, I, you know, in giving something up, I should have additional resources in that solidarity. I can move out in empathy and do something about their need. So 40 days come and go, and now we are at the glorious day of Easter. Woohoo! We're eating ice cream again. Yes, <laughs> yes, thank God. Yay! Um, but is there any, is there anything? I mean, I, I I you know have grown up in kind of the Protestant kind of liberal tradition where now you know Easter is like a big Easter pageant play at church, and <laughs> you know there's fake Jesus who's rising with a smoke machine, and it's like it's it's awesome. The but, laser light show behind. Yeah, the it. laser light show. That's exactly, exactly what Jesus had. It came out yeah. of the laser light show. That's right. The angels are. <laughs> hanging from the, you know, lofters, oh, the yeah. rafters of, of, of the, of the church, They're but, you know, That's what are the women run away in fear? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are we hoping people are going to kind of take from that Easter day? Well, I mean, you know, the hope is right. If you've spent 40 days, 46 days, if you're doing Sundays <laughs> or not, um, if you've taken the time, you know, to be this, deeply reflective, you know, the intention for all of these exercises is to come out on the other side, slightly changed, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in some ways, all of these sort of calendar journeys, mm -hmm. Christmas is 12 days long. It's not, it's not a single day. It's a 12 day journey of, of sort of the infancy of Jesus. Um, you know, Advent is four Sundays prior to that. Like all of these are like, in some ways, a pilgrimage and, and we're not supposed to end the pilgrimage the same person we started the pilgrimage as. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, you come to Easter and you celebrate and you celebrate where you come, right. And, mm -hmm. you know, what you've come from, um, you know, and sometimes those changes are very subtle. Uh, you know, I know people get disappointed. I expect that I gave up something significant. I expect it to be so different and I don't feel different. Yeah. Um, you know, and the question is like, Oh, maybe you need to spend some time and really, you know, pray about whether or not, you know, what did you learn? Did you learn anything? Um, yeah. And if the answer is no, then, you know, think about what you weren't able to learn and why you weren't able to learn it. And in so doing inadvertently learn something. Um, mm -hmm. So, but one would hope that, you know, when we come to the conclusion of a pilgrimage, we're different. You know, when we come to the end of a journey, we should be slightly different, mm -hmm. more aware, wiser, whatever. Um, uh, and so you know, that should be, you know, the celebratory moment of Easter is like the journey has come in some ways, this, this calendar, this like repetitive uh, seasonal journey has come to another conclusion. Um, you know, and what do I in celebration sort of reflect upon? I, in some ways it's like um, birthdays. Um, you know, as I've gotten older, birthdays have become an opportunity to reflect about the past year. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what has changed over my life over the past year? What am I taking with me? What am I, what am I leaving behind? And where do I hope to go? Right. Um, yeah, I and, like that. It, it's and, it's the reflective, you know, side of of helping you kind of really uh, contemplate where where you've been and where you want to go. Yeah, and you know, and I think that you know the celebration is one part of it. You know, you celebrate, but then you know, sort of after the celebration, you know, after you've eaten all that ice cream or chocolate or whatever it is, else you gave up red meat, um, bacon, uh, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> It, you come out on the other side and you're like, okay, you know, it, it, there's some moment of sort of uh, hopefully self-reflective of like, okay, that was a journey. You know, yeah. what, what am I, what am I, what, I, what have I really 
come to in the, in that 40 day cycle. I, you know, that's the beauty of these cycles is they do, they create habits and patterns for, um, this reflective, um, uh, reflective engagement in life. Um, yeah. Step out of the calendar or step, step both out and into the calendar in different ways, um, to like build in these periods of, um, of definitive and deliberate sort of attention. You know, I, I was um, making a hospital visit yesterday um, in, in one of the hospitals in the city. And whenever I go, and if I have a few minutes extra, I always drop by the chapel um, out of curiosity to see what the chapel looks like. And then also to sit and pray for a, a few moments. And I, I walked over to the, the chapel and finished praying. And as I came outside, there was a plaque right outside on the wall and it was behind kind of like a glass, you know, frame, but in the, inside the frame was kind of like a 12 by 12 pillow. And on the pillow, um, the gift um, donor had, had stitched a um, labyrinth onto the pillow. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, a small, you know, representation, representation of the journey that you're on. Yeah. And um, I, I was just so moved by that, you know, and, and as I'm listening to you talking about us taking that pilgrimage, I mean, that's, that's really what we are. We are, we're on that journey, um, trying to better reveal ourselves, but also become a better, have a better understanding of who Christ the risen is in our life. No, I, you know, I, I, first of all, I love the labyrinth uh, metaphor in general. Mm-hmm. You know that you know Saint Augustine's the only <laughs> the only thing to do is to walk it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I uh, the the twists and turns. Sometimes you're moving to the center. Sometimes you're moving away. It, it feels, to your point, feels very much like life. And when you're walking it with other people simultaneously, sometimes we're walking together. Yeah. Sometimes we're walking side to side, and sometimes we're walking away from one another. Yeah. So much. You know, labyrinth also was a pilgrimage, right? Like yeah. the labyrinths were created for people who couldn't make pilgrimages to holy sites, mm-hmm. um, so that the the penitent could do do a labyrinth. Yeah, I, I, there's something about you know these seasons of deep reflection and pilgrimage that invite invite us to really reflect on who we are, how we understand ourselves in relationship to others and who God is for us. Um, you know, the language that I've come to know God is the Christian language. The salvific relationship I have is with Jesus. Um, and that's the way I align myself and the truth I, um, I embrace and celebrate and name. And, you know, these moments allow me, these, these moments, these calendar, uh, calendar moments allow me, or the seasonal moments allow me the opportunity to really f- reflect on those things very deeply, right? Yeah. Um, and, and those things haven't been static. You know, who Jesus was for me at, at 17 um, is not who Jesus is for me at 50. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm still, I was in a deep relationship with Jesus at 17, and I remain in a deep relationship with Jesus at 50. They're just, they're different. Um, yeah. Just like my relationship with my parents has shifted and changed in that, that's a time period. Um, and so, you know, as, as human, as humans, you know, I think these opportunities to like sort of move through this journey uh, and to be told like, you know, in a religious context, like this is time when you should really be thinking about, you know, who you are, 
coming. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I, I it's, I, I love that there are cycles in the religious calendar that kind of set you up for something that you may not naturally think about. And so it, it's, it's there because you need it and you're not going to think about it, you know? So, and I, you know, I, I think in general, it's like the, how do we add a sacred element back into time? Right. Yes. You know, my students, we talk about, I, I have them read the creation story, the seven day creation story. You know, we talk about what's important in that story. And one of the things I named to them is like, look, you know, one of the important things about this is, is seven days. The week is seven days. Every week is a celebration of these seven days of creation. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, all of time becomes sacralized mm-hmm. uh, or sacred because like, oh, you know, today's the first day and I celebrate light. Today's the second day and I celebrate air, you know, like sort of moving through what does it look like when we surround time itself in a sacred, in a sacred way, rather than seeing it as a profane, just sort of march through <laughs> existence. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Re- Rev O, thank you for joining me. <laughs> That's my pleasure. I, thank you I, so much for inviting me. Please come back. Uh, <laughs> well, you know how to find me. There, thank you for always being prepared for any question I throw out to you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I lament the fact that you know that when you ask me a question, you're going to end up on a treat CEO of what happened for the first 2000 years. <laughs> Before you get around to like sort of the, the yeah, answer yeah. to the but you know can i tell you like you are truly the only person i know that can give me like church history like just off the cuff it's always amazing <laughs> to me it's it's truly amazing to me so i just play you know i will admit my fascination is like how did we get here <laughs> yeah um, you know no. these things don't spring whole cloth out of nowhere so. no i love i mean the stuff that you're able to retain i'm like oh my gosh i love it so Thank you, Rev. I appreciate your time. Of course. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit conciergeminister.com or send us an email at concierge-minister at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.